This morning, if you would, go ahead and open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And if you're joining us this morning, maybe for the first time, or, or maybe you've missed a couple of weeks, let me, let me catch you up to speed. We're in a series right now called Leaving a Legacy. And, and what we're talking about is biblical parenting. We're talking about how to raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And, and this morning, we're going to look in Deuteronomy 6. We're, we're actually five weeks into this series studying God's pattern for biblical parenting. And, and you would say, maybe, why in the world would you pull that out of Deuteronomy 6, right? That's kind of a weird place to pull parenting principles. And, and I would maybe just set this introduction, because as we find ourselves in the book of Deuteronomy, what we find is that the nation of Israel as a whole is in the middle of a transition, a pretty significant transition as a nation. As a matter of fact, if you looked at the book of Deuteronomy in your Bible, it is really a transitional book for that people group, and, and I'll make the connection in a second back to the Bible, but can I just tell you that life is full of transitions? I mean, have you noticed that? Life is full of transitions. I mean, if you're a young person in the room, and maybe you're a student in middle school or high school, listen, you're, at some point there's going to be a transition from middle school to high school, and there'll be a transition from high school into college into a young man or to a young woman, and, and that's a big transition, right? That's a huge transition. Many of us can look back in our life and remember how big of a deal that was. And, and man, when you get out and, and you're on your own, and, and maybe you're a single person, and, and then you transition from being single to being married, that's a huge transition, right? Things change, and, and you have to learn kind of a new life with another person. And, and then if you're married, and, and you, like, like some of our families at our church, you go from being married to then having that first kid, right? That's another transition. Like, everything changes. It's like, man, we thought we had this thing figured out, and it's like, man, what? <laughs> and then, you know, sleep, you don't even get that anymore, and there's this other human that you're responsible for. And then, and then you possibly go from that one child to two or more, right? And, and, and so that even if you have kids, more kids equals more transition. You, you go from you go from man-to-man coverage to now playing zone defense. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's like, if you've got more than two, it's like, you know, some of you know, it's like right now we just want to make sure they're all breathing. We've done a good job today as a parent, right? It's a, it's a transition. Life is full of transitions. And then I was speaking to somebody right before service, but man, man, we, we raise our kids and then at some point, those kids grow and mature, and then they move out, right? And, and so now we're empty nesters, and that's a transition that we experience in life. And, and then you, you possibly have the blessing of, of going from a parent now to even grandparents, right? Because your kids begin having children, and, and God gives you a legacy and a lineage in your family. And, and that's another transition. So the point is, life is full of transitions. Deuteronomy is the book of transitions for the nation of Israel because what they're doing, this generation of Israel is moving from the wilderness to Canaan, to, to the promised land. They're, they're transitioning geographically to the place that God intended for them to dwell and inherit, but they're also transitioning in their, in their strategy and their walk with God because they're, they're transitioning from wandering around in the wilderness to actually warring against their enemies in the promised land. Okay, that's a big transition, right? And, and they're also transitioning socially or, or, or from a leadership standpoint because Moses has been the leader the entire time, right, in the wilderness. Moses led them out of Egypt, and he, he had some failure in the wilderness. And so now Moses isn't going to be allowed to lead Israel into, into Canaan, but Joshua is, and Joshua is the young guy, right? He's the empowered guy to, to, to lead Israel into this fulfillment of what God intends, even, even from a dietary standpoint, there's going to be a change. Because, because Israel has been used to eating manna for 40 years, right? They, they've been getting this stuff rained down from heaven, the bread from heaven, so to speak. And now when they go into Canaan, they're going to have to actually eat the fruit of the land. They're going to move from being temporary, set, temporary dwelling places to permanent settlement in the promised land. And so, and so this book for us is a key book of transition. Remember, it is the book to the children of a failed generation because, because the audience of Deuteronomy, all of their fathers died in the wilderness because of their rebellion and rejection to enter into Canaan, right? They, they failed in following God fully. And so these children, man, they, 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 
they had a legacy of faith in a sense, but they also had parents that didn't fully follow God in faith. And so here are the children now that are the, 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 the kind of the generation that comes after this failed generation, and God now gives them the opportunity to inherit the promised land. And so as we go to Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses is instructing this generation, hey man, make sure that you know God, make sure that you have the word of God in your heart, and make sure that your children know God's word, right? He, he's, he's solidifying the fact that, listen, this thing is about a legacy, and you as parents, even though your experience was maybe a, a bad experience, your responsibility is to make sure your kids know who God is. And so that's why we've been working through Deuteronomy 6, because God gives some really specific instruction to this generation to give to their children about who God is. And so in, in the past, we've studied in verses 6 through 9, we talked about how biblical parents, we've got to teach the right things to our children. Actually, go ahead and look at it, Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 to 9. Moses writes, or Moses commands th this nation and this generation, he says, These words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in the house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, when thou risest up, thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand. And they shall be as frontless between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and thy gates. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, how we as parents, again, just the, the spiritual application of this, we have to teach God's word to our children. God's position, the best, the best person to invest God's word into children is a parent. That's the, that's the, way, God, that's the way God crafted it. And pastors are good, and teachers are good, and we have to have spiritual leaders that teach us. But man, the position and the role of a parent in, in, the, in, the, in the economy of God to get God's Word to children specifically comes through the parent. That's the best thing that God made for kids to get it. And, and so we talked about the biblical home in verses 6 to 9. Colin last week taught us that biblical parents, we got to be careful not to forget God when God blesses us, right? And, and we looked at verses 10 and 11 last week. It says, It shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not. Uh, uh, I think I missed a verse in my notes, verse 11. But verse 12 says, Then beware, lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt in the house of bondage. And, and listen, that's a temptation for any of us. As parents, right? Because listen, when we experience the blessings of God, many times we, we become blind to the God that actually gave us the blessing. And, and if we're not careful in our homes, because we always want our kids to have it better, and that's okay, there's nothing wrong with that, but we have to understand that God wants us to never forget who it is that brings the blessing, and it's God that brings the blessing. And so as parents, we have to live in a way that we don't forget the Lord, in our homes and with our families. And so that leads us up to this morning where, where the title of the message is Modeling Maturity. Modeling Maturity in the Home as Parents. And so, and so this morning, we're, we're going to just talk as adults. And I know we've got teens in the room, and don't, don't think I'm excluding you guys as teens because we got some stuff in here for you too. But, but, but man, as parents, we have to not only teach the right things and remember the right person, but then thirdly, we got to model the right things in our home. We have to actually flesh out and live by faith what God would have us live out. And so we're going to look at verses 13 to 19. Let me read it quick and let me pray uh, because I got like 10 pages of notes and I know that we can't get this in like 30 minutes. So, so let, let's go fast. You listen fast. Uh, you take notes fast. Let me read the text. We'll pray and we'll get going. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 13. It says, Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him and shall swear by his name. You shall not go after other gods of the gods of the people which are round about you. For the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee, and, and he destroy thee from off the face of the earth. You shall not tempt the Lord thy God as ye tempted him in Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he commanded you. And thou shalt do what, uh, what is right and good in the sight of the Lord." That it may be well with thee, and that thou mayest not go in, and, that thou mayest go in and possess the good land which the Lord God 
swear unto thy fathers to cast out all thy enemies from before thee as the Lord has spoken. So let's pray and we'll jump in this text. Father, we need you this morning, God. Uh, Lord, I thank you for this church family. I pray that your Holy Spirit, God, leads us, teaches us today. God, thank you for your word. And Lord, God, get me out of the way. Lord, I know I'm a man of stammering lips. And I, and I pray that, uh, Lord, your, your word and your Holy Spirit just do the work today. God, get me out of the way. Don't let me mess up or muddy up what you have to say to us today. And Lord, I pray that every one of us are equipped and challenged and encouraged from what we hear from your word. We trust you and we want to hear from you. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. So this morning, we're, we're going to talk about three things as biblical parents that we have to model to our children. And we get this out of verses 13 to 19. So let me give you the three things real quick. Number one, biblical parents model a submissive reverence to God. See, if we're going to be a biblical parent, we have to model what submissive reverence is in a right relationship with God. Verse 13, as, as Moses commands this generation, he says, Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him, and thou shalt swear by his name. And so let's talk about those three things. Number one, God says that we have to have a right perspective of the fear of the Lord, and that deals first and foremost with our heart. We have to have a right heart before God. And listen, this thing of the fear of the Lord is actually where we began in Deuteronomy 6. When, when Moses gave the commandments to this generation, he says, I'm giving you God's word, verse 2, Deuteronomy 6 and verse 2, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God. And, and again, it goes back to having a right reverence and a submissive heart to the fact that God is God and I am not. There's only one God, and I'm not him, and you're not him. There's only one. And listen, over and over again, and so Deuteronomy 6 begins with having a, per, a proper perspective of the fear of God. In verse 13, again, as a parent, man, we have to have a right perspective of the fear of God. And listen, you may be sitting there saying, hey, dude, that's Old Testament angry God. I actually had somebody tell me that in Publix last week. I was, I was having a conversation, and, and uh, the guy was noticing the shirt I was wearing. It had, like, some scripture on it or whatnot. And uh, he was just staring at me. It got really awkward for a second because he was just staring at me. And he had like sunglasses on and, and he didn't say anything. And so, you know, part of me is like, I'm about to punch you in the face. You know, like, <laughs> how's this going to end? So just side note, don't just stare at me for no reason. I mean, I'm just telling you, so <laughs> that's free. <laughs> I mean, it was awkward. And so I'm standing in line trying to get a pub sub. And, you know, here's this weird situation going down. And then I said, hey, man, are you Okay. And he didn't answer me. So then I took a step closer, and I was like, I, put, I did like this. Hey, man, are you okay? Like, are we about to go down? What's going, what's going on right here? And he goes, oh, I'm just looking at your, sh I'm just reading your shirt. And, and it talked about dead man, dead man alive in Christ. And I said, well, uh, that's Galatians 2.20. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I but Christ that liveth in me, right? In life I live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's what this is about. And that guy was like, well, I, I wouldn't know anything about that. I'm Jewish. And I said, okay. He said, all I know is the angry God of the Old Testament type thing, the angry God. And I said, man, listen, yeah, for sure, that's a character and an aspect of God, but that's not all of God. You're missing the bigger picture, right? And, and so he had a skewed understanding of God's character, of God's nature, of, of Christ, right? He didn't understand who Christ was, and, and we got into a, a, an interesting conversation. Here's my point. Like, like today, we talk about the fear of God in church, and, and it, sometimes it's easy to dismiss as, hey, that's the Old Testament God, and that doesn't apply in the New Testament. And, and listen, the fear of the Lord is all the way through Scripture, and I want to prove that to you this morning, because listen, because Deuteronomy is the book of transition, that, in, that in instruction about having a right fear of the Lord transitions both Old Testament and New Testament. As a matter of fact, as you read the New Testament, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Let me refresh our memory. In Acts chapter 9, it talks about the churches having rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria. So we're in the book of Acts, but God says there are some churches that have been established, and they're edified, and it says they are walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost, and they were multiplied. And so, and so having a submissive reverence and a proper fear of the Lord is biblical, not only in the Old Testament, 
but in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21 says, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Colossians 3 and verse 22, when it talks about servants serving your masters according to the flesh, God tells us that we need to do that in singleness of heart, fearing God. Listen, we're going to stand before God one day and give an account. And listen, it won't be like standing before your physical father or your physical mother or your physical pastor. It will be before God Almighty. And, and, and listen, I know that we are saved in this room if you're born again and you know Christ. But there has to be a healthy reverence and fear of God because God is God and we are not. And many times we tune it down to just, man, well, let's just respect God and reverence God as our human father. And, and, and we should reverence him as a father because we are his children. But man, listen, the picture breaks down because he's not flesh and blood. He is God Almighty, right? Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 and 29, the writer of Hebrews says, Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably, listen, with reverence, that's respect, reverence, right? And godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. And, and we just have to be reminded, and, and, and Moses is reminding this generation, as you, as you model what's right in front of your children, you have to model a right heart before God. The fear of the Lord is, is a genuine thing in our life. And again, I'm not explaining it away. I'm not trying to say something that's not Man, we have a relationship with God. He is our Heavenly Father. We are His sons, absolutely. But man, we also need to fear the Lord because He is a consuming fire. He's not like any other relationship we have. And, and we have to keep that in perspective. And so, and so our children need to see a right modeling of the fear of the Lord in our life. Number two, they need to see a right serving of the Lord in our life. And, and we're where fearing the Lord deals with our heart, serving the Lord deals with our hands. And can I just tell you, man, God ought to see, our children ought to see us serving the Lord out of a direct result of a right worship of God. You see, serving Christ shouldn't be optional for the child of God. It is optional because you have a free will. But man, for our heart to be right with God, we ought to be willing to serve God with our life. As a matter of fact, you see it all through the Psalms, right? Psalm 2 and verse 11, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Psalm 100 and verse 2, serve the Lord with gladness and come before his presence with singing. And I, and I think for us as parents and specifically as fathers, as leaders in our home, we set the standard for serving God in our house. We set the standard. And listen, we can set that, that, that bar where it needs to be high, or we can set that standard really low. And, and God really cares about where we set that bar. You know, I'm reminded of Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15. Every one of you know this verse. I think every one of you know this verse. But Joshua said, you know what? As far as my household is concerned, I can't, I can't discern and determine what happens in your, your household. But I can set the standard for mine. And what he says in Joshua 24 and verse 15, he says, if it, if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord... Choose you this day who you'll serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So Joshua models for us a biblical parent who says, listen, I'm going to set a standard for my home that we are going to serve the Lord together. We're going to serve the Lord together. I appreciate it. We had a conversation last night with my brothers last night, and we were talking about how Man, in his life, he grew up on a, a mission field and had the opportunity to see some things and do some things. And his parents basically said, this, this is not just your mom and I's ministry. This is our ministry as a family. God has us in this place at this time to do these things, and we're going to serve God together. And so, and so as, as children, they ought to see us as, as parents and adults, man, faithfully serving the Lord. And, and listen... I know that's hard because, because many times we, we don't equate the effect that that has on our children. The problem is if we're a consumer Christian instead of a consecrated and committed Christian, we reproduce consumer children. And no wonder that our kids don't have a heart to serve the Lord. 
and fear the Lord. And, and, and the effect of that legacy gets marred as we pass that down to our generations. And so listen, uh, you know, God's word tells us that we need to serve the Lord. And, and listen, anybody that serves in our church, or any church for that matter, ought to be serving the Lord. You're not serving Jay. You're not serving Cody if you're on the worship team. You've you got you to gotta show up and serve Christ. The guys in the back, man, that, that, that run the soundboard and the AV, and they're going to kill me for calling attention to them. But listen, you serve Christ. You don't serve Walt or Chris if you serve on that team. Hopefully your heart is that you serve Christ, right? Man, if you're serving in the back and you're working with children and you're, you're under maybe Colin's area of ministry, you're not really serving Colin. You're serving Christ. And, and, and so when we have a right heart, we're going we're gonna to flesh that out in our hands in service to the body of Christ, because it is Christ's body that we serve. And so, man, if you're on the cleaning team, you don't serve David, you serve Christ. And when I'm serving Christ, no one has to motivate me to be on time, to be prepared, to work heartily, because, man, I want to do it in a way that honors the Lord. Amen. Does that make sense? Man, if I'm going to serve Christ, Colossians 3, I'm not going to go back there, but, but man, if I'm going to serve Christ, I'm going to do it heartily. Even if I'm, I'm serving a flesh and blood leader, man, I want to serve as I'm serving Christ, heartily as unto the Lord. And, and I don't mind coming in early or staying late or, or things not going according to plan. And the reason why is because, man, I'm serving the Lord. And, and I love the Lord. And, and He's worthy of, of me serving and so, man, do, I, do my children see me serving the Lord? Now, listen, the problem is for some of us, they may see me serving Jay and Cody and David. and what You see what I'm saying? They may see us serving a human instrument. And the breakdown comes when we don't like the way things are going or things don't go as planned. But when we serve Christ, it doesn't matter how good of a leader, how bad of a leader, how good the situation, how bad the situation. Man, when my kids see me serving Christ, there's joy in that. There's fulfillment in that. We're, we're doing what God's called us to do. And so, and so, listen, parents, you have an amazing opportunity to model biblical servanthood to your children. And then number three, Moses commands this generation, he says, listen, when you, when you swear, swear by my name, and, and that deals with our words, and listen, that doesn't mean that this morning we're going to teach you to go out and use God's name in vain. That's not what we're talking about. We're not using profanity. We're not using God's name as a curse word. In the Old Testament, it was very common for the Jews, for the nation of Israel, to make an oath, to vow a vow, to make a promise. And if they made that promise, they needed to stick to it. They, they needed to make a vow and, and stick to it. And as you study this thing of vow and swearing all through the Bible, God himself made some vows. God himself made some promises, and he had to swear by something that was great, right? He had to, he had to make his promise or his oath on a standard that's unchangeable. And so in Hebrews chapter 6, God himself made promise to Abraham. And the Bible says because he could swear by no greater he sware by himself, saying, Surely, blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And the point is, God promised something based on his own name, because there's no name that's greater. And for parents, again, let's, let's just talk about the impact of our words in our home. You've got Matthew chapter 5 in your notes. God, Christ comes around in the New Testament and says, Hey, listen, in the Old Testament, you know, it says you perform your, your oath to the Lord, but, but Christ says, hey, listen, in the, in the New Testament application, swear not at all, neither by heaven, because it's God's throne, nor earth, for it's God's footstool. Don't swear by Jerusalem, for it's the, the, great, it's the city of the great king. And basically, he gets to verse 37, he says, listen, just let your communication be yea, yea, and nay, nay. Now, not nay, nay like the kids think. Okay, so the point is, whatsoever is more than these cometh evil. And so the point is, I knew I, was, I knew I was just making sure you guys were awake. God's just saying, let your yes be yes and let your no be no. In other words, your words ought to be honest. Your, your words ought to be honest words. You don't make empty promises. You keep your word. And can I tell you that has an impact in your home? 
Because your, your kids know, man, no offense. Your kids know if you're a liar. Your kids know if you're covering the truth. Your kids know if you're manipulating the situation. Your kids know, man. So listen, make your words an outpouring of your worship. You ought to have right words because you have a right walk with God. So here's the question, and here's the key question, right? Do my children see a submissive reverence to God through my heart as a parent, my hands in service, and my words of integrity? Now, some of you teens are sitting here, and, and listen, you may be tempted to say, you know what, I see all the inconsistencies in my parents because they're not perfect. And you're right, they're not. And your pastor's not either, and you're not either. And it would be dangerous for young people to say, you know what, I'm not getting the right picture at home, and so I can excuse away my behavior because, because I don't see the right picture. And, and let me just pause on that point for a second. Even if you don't see the right picture in your home, you still have a standard that's true, the Bible. And, and teens, you're old enough to know that God's Word is true. And so even if you see inconsistency in your parents, that doesn't excuse your inconsistency or inability or unwillingness to worship God yourself. We have a standard. And not every situation is perfect. We ought to model that as parents, amen? And we blow it. I blow it. But, but at the end of the day, that's no excuse for my kid to say, well, I didn't see that in my home, so I'm not going to do it. Because we have adults now that grew up in homes like that that won't worship God because that's their excuse. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't grow up in a home that read the Bible. I didn't grow up in a home that went to church. I didn't grow up in a home that served God. Okay, no problem. But you do have a Bible. And so, and so even if you don't have it modeled for you, you have the absolute standard of truth, which is God's Word, which makes us accountable. We know what to do. And you can be the person, and this is later in my notes, but you can be the person that changes the generation, that breaks the habitual sin and rebellion against God and redefines your family lineage from you forward. And man, that's what we ought to desire, right? That, that's what we ought to desire. Okay, so man, number one, biblical parenting models a submissive reverence to God. Number two, biblical parenting models a faithful marriage to God. And man, listen, this is going to get good right here. Verse 14, you shall not go after other gods or the gods of the people which are round about you. For the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee and destroy thee from off the face of the earth. Ye shall not tempt the Lord your God as ye tempted him in Massa. And you say, man, that has nothing to do with marriage. Where are you pulling that point from? Well, just buckle your seatbelt. God gives us two things that are don'ts right? He gives us a thing to do, like, man, man, have a right heart and a right service and a right words before the Lord. But then he comes right on the heels of that, and he says, hey, don't do these two things. Number one, don't go after other gods. Remember, Israel is about to go into the land of Canaan. Canaan is not a picture of heaven because it's full of enemies, and they have to be driven out. And, and so God is warning this generation, when you get in that land, there's going to be a temptation to draw you away from the one true God. There's going to be other gods that you can see people worshiping. And Moses is telling this generation, man, stay faithful to God Almighty. Stay faithful because God is a jealous God. Okay, Exodus 34, verses 14 to 16. Check this out. God tells us that thou shalt worship no other God for the Lord whose name is what? I don't know if you've ever like, seen that before, but, but one of the names of God is capital J, Jealous. He is a jealous God. And so the admonition from Moses is, listen, don't worship other gods, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. And they go, check, check this wording out, they go a-whoring after their gods and do sacrifice unto their gods. 
and one call thee, and thou eat of his sacrifice, and thou shalt take of thy daughters and thy sons and, and their daughters, and go a whoring after their gods, and make thy sons go a whoring after their gods. And, and again, man, that's strong language. I understand that. But, but do you understand that, that, that what God is talking about is faithfulness in a relationship? And do you know that when he says, when you move away, when you go after other gods, it's just like walking out, it's like walking out on your spouse. And, and again, man, I'm, I'm, I'm sensitive to the room, and I know that strong language, but when, when God is talking about pursuing other gods than him, he uses that phrase over and over, go a-whoring. Because that's the way God looks at it. Now, we don't look at it like that. We just say, oh, well, it's just another thing that I do or a thing that I worship or whatever, man. But, but can I tell you, God's such a jealous God that when God sees that in our life, he looks at it as spiritual adultery. James chapter 4 and verse 4, right? He looks at it as us stepping out on the relationship. God would never do that because God is perfect, right? God, God cannot sin. But man, if we move away from God in our relationship and we pursue other gods, God, God says, man, that's like committing spiritual adultery against me. And, and man, there's plenty of examples that, that all through the Bible, man, Old Testament and New Testament, people that did that. Solomon is an example, 1 Kings 11. The Bible says the Lord was angry with Solomon. I mean, this is the son of David. I mean, this is the, the, the prince of peace. I mean, Solomon is a picture of Christ in the Old Testament. But man, Solomon's heart wavered in his walk with God. And God was angry with him because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared to him twice. And he commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods. Listen, but he kept not that which the Lord commanded. He went a whoring. He committed adultery in his relationship with God. And, and God said, okay, if you're going to do that, it's going to cost you. And so now you can't have the kingdom. And, and there were consequences of that. And the reason is God wants exclusivity in the relationship. Now, we want that in our marriages, right? There's not a man in this room that's not a jealous man concerning his marriage. And you want exclusivity in your marriage, and you expect it. And in the same way, we have a marriage relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that we're a spouse to him as our husbandman, and we are the bride of Christ. And God looks at our relationship, and in the Old Testament, it was the nation of Israel and God the Father. And we can talk about all those different things, but God says, listen... You need to be faithful in this relationship. And listen, when you're faithful in this relationship and you don't pursue other gods, one, that's healthy for you, but two, man, your children see the right picture. Your children see the right picture. And man, our homes are a mess, man, and, and I get it. We're still sinful and we still struggle. But can I tell you that unfaithfulness in a home affects a child? Physically, an unfaithfulness in a home affects a child spiritually. we we got to model the right thing in our homes. God, God cares a lot about his picture. And so God's admonition is don't go after other gods. And, and maybe you're here today and there is another side hustle that you got going, man. There's another relationship that is competing with your relationship with God. And you don't view it as a, a problem but it is a problem, man, because God's jealous. And, and maybe you just need to surrender that thing and say, you know what, man, God, I've, I've been a little unfaithful in our relationship. I want to repent of that and get restored right with you. God, God wants you to come back. God expects you to come back. God expects exclusivity. He wants faithful commitment. Okay, and then number two, the second thing that God tells us in those verses is, number one, don't, don't go after other gods. Number two, don't tempt your God. And he gives a very specific location of where this happened in Israel's past. It happened in a place called Massa. And everybody in this room knows where that is, right? Nobody? Okay. Not everybody. So if you don't know, it's Exodus chapter 17. And what God is talking about is when Israel came out of Egypt, 
They were thirsty. They needed water. And in Exodus 17, God gives us the account of when Israel tempted the Lord thy God. And so look at Exodus 17, verse 1. It says, All the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord. And I just want you to know that Israel was following God's word and God's man. God is the one that led them into the wilderness. You need to hang on to that. And they pitched in Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Now, who brought them there? Who brought them there? God brought them there. You mean God would lead his people into a place of being uncomfortable? Yes. You mean God might want to lead me to a place in my life that's a little uncomfortable? Yes. Why? So that you can learn to trust God. Verse 2, Wherefore did the people chide with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. Don't you love a demanding congregation? I mean, that's none of you, but I'm talking about the other churches, right? That's not you. (laughs) Give us water. You wouldn't say that. You would say, Give us coffee and like good coffee, right? Okay, me too. Give us good coffee. Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said to them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do you tempt who? There it is. And the people thirsted there for water, and the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is it that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? And Moses cried to the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be ready to stone me. Moses is like, Man, what, did I have, what have I got myself into? These dudes are taking up stones. And the Lord said to Moses, Go on before the people, take with thee of the elders of Israel thy rod, wherewith thou smotest the river, right, the, the Red Sea, take in thy hand also and go, and I will stand before thee on the rock in Horeb. And thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall water come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. A couple of points here that are worth writing down. Number one, God's appointed leadership is going to lead you in the right direction according to God's word. And so if we open the Bible and say, this is what God is saying for our church, be willing to follow. Be willing to follow, even when it's uncomfortable, because it is going to be uncomfortable. This is when their fathers tempted the Lord. And and listen, it's connected to rebellion against leadership. It's also connected to a place of suffering. I mean, they're in Horeb. They're in the wilderness. They're in the desert. There is no water. And they're blaming Moses. You brought us out here, but, but who brought them out there? God brought them out there. And do you know why God used Moses? Here's one reason I think God used Moses. Because God, God allowed Moses to spend 40 years on the backside of that desert. The man that was leading them was the most qualified to get them through the desert. He'd already spent 40 years on the backside of the desert. After he tried to lead in his own flesh and he killed an Egyptian, he had to spend some time on the backside of the desert to learn to have a right relationship with God and to learn how to lead God's people rightly and to learn how to survive the desert. And they didn't like it, but they had the very man that they needed to lead them to Canaan. But Israel chided against the man instead of chiding against God. And by chiding against the man, man, against the man, man. They tempted God. They tempted God. I mean, they blame Moses for bringing them up out of Egypt. That's God's doing. And in the midst of all the suffering and, and rebellion and temptation, God is so good, God is so gracious, he gave them water to drink from the rock. When you compare this to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4, the Bible says that they drank of the same spiritual rock, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was who? Christ. And so even in the wilderness, Christ is the sustainer for the nation of Israel. And God is saying, listen, don't tempt God. And as a parent, you need to understand God puts leadership in our lives as Christians. God puts leadership in our lives as a church to lead us according to God's word. But man, when you chide against that and rebel against that and put your physical perceived needs above everything else, you are tempting God. So so here's the key. We need to get to the place in our relationship with God that His Word carries the authority 
not our physical needs, abilities, or strength. They were in the wilderness because God said so. (laughs) They were right where they needed to be because God led them there. God used Moses to lead them there. But man, they tempted God by rebelling against their leadership, rebelling against the Word of God, and putting their perceived physical needs above what they really needed. 1 Corinthians 10 said they didn't need physical water. They needed spiritual drink. They needed Christ. And man, we mess that up in our homes. Because, you know, okay. We mess that up in our homes because, you know, we don't like, we don't like the ser- sermon series. We don't like the way the children's ministry is going. We don't like the coffee. That they're pay- okay, whatever. I'm joking on the coffee. I think all of you like the coffee. But if we're not careful, man, we'll, we'll present to our children a lifestyle that actually tempts God because we chide against God and his leaders. And man, God says when you do that, you're messing up the picture. You're messing up the picture. God, God wants faithfulness in a relationship. God wants you to follow. God wants you to be obedient and submissive to him and to his word. The word of God ought to have the authority in your life. If we open the word of God and prove it out according to the word of God, let's all follow it. Let's trust God according to his word, okay? And, and I got more in that point, but we don't have time because you're not listening fast enough. And so, and so listen, just know that God is a jealous God and he expects exclusivity in his relationship. And in the Old Testament, God had a wife named Israel and Christ has an espoused wife named the church and both are jealous of their wives, and they want faithfulness. Just a side note, write down Numbers chapter 5, because in Numbers chapter 5, verses 12 to 31, there is a law or a test of jealousy that the priest could administer to a husband who thought his wife had been unfaithful. And, and, and I wish I had the time, man, but you're not listening fast enough, and I can't unpack it quick enough, but but can I just tell you, when you study that picture, a jealous husband brings his wife to the house of God and the priest gives her water to drink. And if she's been unfaithful, that water becomes a curse. But if she has been faithful, that water gives her a blessing. As a matter of fact, it says that she shall go out and be fruitful. And I think that's how God kind of exercises our integrity. What he does is he pours out the water of God's word into our life. He, he pours out the water of the word of God. And man, for some of us, the danger is that we're not really right with God in our relationship. And man, the word of God reveals it. The word of God reveals it. And for some of us, man, God's word is, is a cleansing agent. God's word is the thing that makes us fruitful in ministry. It's because you have a right relationship with the Lord. Man, your kids pick up on that, by the way. If you go to 2 Corinthians 11, Paul even said in the New Testament, this, the church age context, that, that he was jealous over the Corinthians with a godly jealousy. He's espoused them to one husband that he could present them as a chaste virgin to Christ. This thing goes all the way through Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. God is a jealous God, man, and we are called to be faithful to him, just like we would expect faithfulness from our spouse. Okay, and then number three, and we need to model that for our children. Number three, let's get done, man. Biblical parenting models a victorious warfare with God. And so look at the last couple of verses we're done. Look at verse 17. So Moses says to this generation, you shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God, his testimonies, his statutes, which he's commanded thee. And thou shalt do that which is right and good in the sight of God, that it may be well with thee, that thou mayest go in and possess the good land which the Lord God swear unto your fathers, to cast out all thine enemies from before thee, as the Lord had spoken. And so where in Deuteronomy 6, God tells them to, to keep uh, teach the commandments of God in verse 7. Now he's saying keep the commandments of God in verse 17. We can't just teach our children God's words. We have to keep our, we have to keep God's word as a model, as an example of what a transformed life looks like. And, and can I just tell you, as, as Israel goes into Canaan, there are enemies awaiting. And, and there, are the, there are enemies that Israel had guaranteed victory over if they would have stayed right with God. 
And so in our, in our homes, we don't have physical enemies that we overtake and have to run out of a land. You don't have to go home today and battle off people that are in your front yard. Hopefully not. Hopefully that's not the case. There's not physical enemies that you have to deal with, but there are spiritual enemies that we as children of God have to deal with. And listen, the enemies that you as a parent have to deal with are the same enemies that your children are going to have to deal with. It's the same enemies. And so let me give them to you real quick. Number one, we have an enemy called the flesh. It is the enemy in me. It is my flesh, my old man, my nature, my sinful nature. And can I tell you that we can be effective through God's grace, through God's word, through the Spirit of God, we can be victorious over this enemy. The flesh doesn't have to be victorious in our life, and it doesn't have to be victorious in our home. And we need our kids to know how to be victorious over the flesh. We, we ought to be able to demonstrate that, that battle strategy, right? Romans 13, verse 14, it says, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh, to fulfill the lust thereof. Galatians 5 and 17 says that the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other so that you can't do the things that you would. And, and man, there's a spiritual battle in our life with this old man, this old flesh, our old nature. After you get saved, you've got to learn to war that warfare. And your kids need to know that victory is attainable. Because if we as parents lose this battle week to week, month to month, year to year, you know what that kid sees? Well, Christianity is just a religion. It's just a bunch of information. There's no power in it. There's no victory available in it. But man, when we learn to war a good warfare, we set our children up for success. We show our children that, man, through Christ, through the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, victory is available. You don't have to live a life defeated by your flesh. But, man, we got to model that. Number two, we have an enemy called the world. And it's this world system. It is this world system that is against God. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16 says, For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but it's of the world. And I'm telling you right now, you know it already. Man, the world is coming for your kids. Just like they're coming, it's coming for you. And if you don't know how to overcome the world, Christ overcame the world, and through His power and His grace and His Spirit and His Word, you can overcome this fallen world system. But man, if you're not, your kids don't see victory. They see defeat. They see failure. They see no hope. So man, as, as, as parents, God knows that we have enemies that we have to deal with. God's saying, I'm giving you victory. And man, your personal victory ought to impact your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren grandchildren. It ought to leave a legacy of faith. Number three, we have the devil as an enemy. First Peter chapter five and verse eight says, be sober, be, be vigilant because vigilant, excuse me, your adversary, the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And, and, and we know that. And man, listen, each of these, we don't have time this morning, but each of these require a specific strategy to be victorious over. In other words, you can't take the strategy you're supposed to use against the devil and apply it to the flesh. It won't work. You can't take the strategy that you're to apply to the world and apply it to your flesh or the devil. It won't work. So you have to know how to warfare a good warfare. And our kids need to see victory. We can't expect our children to be victorious when we aren't living in spiritual victory in our own life. And so here's the key in your notes, and we're done. Listen, if we don't learn to drive out our enemies, and specifically the flesh, the world, the devil, if we don't know how to combat that biblically, we'll just continue to be enticed by them. And we'll live defeated Christianity. And man, God doesn't want that, right? And so listen, close your Bibles, we're done. But let me, let me challenge you right here at the end. I know we're done. You got all your blanks filled in, right? Okay, so after this point, they're $5 a blank if you need one. Listen. Man, we got to teach the right things to our kids. We want to empower you to do that as a church. We want to make sure that, that you don't forget God. We want to empower you as a church to do that. 
But can I just tell you, the only person that can model that in your home is you. The only person that can model that to your children, to your grandchildren, the only person that can do it in your situation, in your scenario, with the people of influence that you have in a family context is you. And children need a model to follow. They need parents that fear the Lord, serve the Lord, that have right words according to their relationship with God. Children need to see faithfulness to the Lord because, man, God's a jealous God. And he, they need to see us living out victoriously. I need to be able to share with my daughters, yeah, the battle's tough. Your dad's failed. But man, here's how victory's achieved. Here's how I failed in my flesh, but how, by God's grace, I've been victorious in some areas. Here's how the world has tempted me, but here's how, by God's grace, I can overcome that. Here's how the devil, man, seeks to devour me, but by God's grace, we can overcome, right? Man, listen, we, we, we have victory attainable and achievable, but it's up to us. It's up to us. And it starts with the right worship of God. So let's bow our heads. Father, we, we need you this morning, God. I pray, Lord, for our church family. Uh, God, I pray for us, God, individually, that we have a right heart attitude of worship towards you. God, we, we began talking about a submissive reverence. And God, some of us today, man, we... we we may not have a proper perspective of just how, how amazing you are, how awesome you are, but, man, how you are God alone. You alone are the creator, maker, and sustainer of this universe. And there is no human that can compare to you. God, you're amazing. Your son, Jesus Christ, came to this earth. He is the creator, and, and God, he, he, he loved us so much that he gave his life for our sin raised himself from the dead the third day. God, only you can do that. And God, for some of us as parents, man, we, we may have lost or may, may have never even had the right fear of God in our life. Lord, today, would you put that in our heart? God, would we submit ourselves and surrender ourselves to you? Some of us may need to respond to the gospel, and we understand that one day we're going to stand before you. And, and if we stand in our sin, God, will deserve eternal judgment. If we stand washed by the blood of Christ, God, we'll stand forgiven. And so, Lord, give us, give us what we need. Father, for some of us, we need to be faithful in our relationship. And God, maybe, maybe today you, you've exposed some of us that, that we have gone after other things, other gods, little g. And, man, that may be money, it may be a career, it may be a status, it may be hobbies, it may be things that we worship. And maybe today you've reminded us that, that God, you're a jealous God, and, and you expect exclusivity in our relationship. Maybe today we, we've, we've been tempting you in the area of submissiveness to our leaders and our, our direction as a church. We're fighting against you. We didn't even know we were fighting against you. We thought we were fighting against flesh and blood. God, pray you'd get our hearts right today. Help our children see victory through our walk with you. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, let me ask you a couple of questions. We're done.